All right, welcome back to the Bitcoin layer. I'm Nick Batia, and today we have Jeff Booth. He is the author of The Price of Tomorrow, one of the most highly regarded books in this Bitcoin book sphere of economics. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, no problem at all. Great to be here, Nick. Uh, Jeff, tell our audience a little bit about yourself and maybe you can just intro a little bit of Price of Tomorrow and why you wrote the book. Sure. Uh, probably the best way to describe myself as just a technology entrepreneur. Um, the, the somebody who is constantly looking to to uh, constantly questioning why and using technology to create better uh, better business as I, I that's what I've done all my life and then when uh, when I saw that trend um, around what was happening with technology at the, at the greater level where technology was supposed to be reducing prices and bringing, uh, bringing the abundance gained from productivity, um, broadly distributing that to society. I couldn't understand why, uh, why that wasn't happening. I couldn't understand why if technology was moving at that rate, um, and or an exponential rate, why weren't we seeing exponential price decreases across everything, not just in TVs, or, or, or consumer electronics, but technology is in everything. So why weren't we seeing it everything or, or at least price declines everywhere? Um, and that led me on a, led, led me on an investigation of the existing financial system to understand how it was diametrically opposed to that technology, uh, essentially ensuring the price, the productivity flowed to us. It had, it had to concentrate the, the, the power of technology in few hands from the existing system. Um, and that led me to realize, so why I wrote the book is I looked at my kids and I realized that they're not going to grow up in the same world I grew up in. Um, in fact, the whole world was going to go through a really tough time as we thought about a transition and what would that transition look like and what would we need to do to be able to transition to a more hopeful future. And what is that transition? So what does it look like? And where do you think that we stand today in 2022? Um, did the pandemic accelerate any of uh, your thesis here? And um, what, what should we be looking for, for our society in this transition over the next several years? Yeah, and, and it, it, well, it's easy to just say, here's the one answer. Here's exactly what it's going to look like. Um, chaos theory predicts it won't, there's no way to say exactly what that looks like or time it. What I would say is structurally, you, we have, we have a big problem structurally. Let's, let's just call it the, um, the, the, the debt outstanding that, uh, that is known, like not the hidden debt or anything else, but let's call that debt. Uh, so not the unfunded liabilities and form of pension plans all around the world, not nothing there, just what's on the books and you know what the I, or what the bank of international settlements came out with yesterday that they're missing 65 billion dollars of debt like how do you how does that happen and and so let's just call that the known debt and that's approximately 400 trillion dollars and if you if you realize that how much 400 trillion dollars some people say it's 500 trillion 600 trillion but let's just use a broad number, let's say 400 trillion is the, is the known debt. And there's a lot more debt on top of that in hidden pools, um, and unfunded liabilities. 
does anybody believe that that debt is repayable? And, and I would think you'd say it's impossible that that debt is repayable. In fact, productivity gains, if you, if, if, if you just follow the, the, the logic, why, if we're more productive today, is debt increasing at the rate it's increasing? And it's, it's illogical because when we're more productive, we're supposed to be able to make more money to pay back the debt we took on, right? But these, these trends are moving exactly in the opposite directions. In fact, the rise of the debt at that rate is caused by the technology productivity that's coming. And that's what people don't re- realize. So the more you automate, the more you bring technology that's supposed to reduce prices, the more the debt has to increase to be able to offset that that uh, that price decline. And the less things that it has to to offset against. So we used to in GDP measures, we used to have calculators. We used to buy buy a whole bunch of things that now are apps. And are completely free. Those don't exist in the GDP measure anymore. So that the debt has to be put onto energy. Those prices have to go up a lot, lot more. Uh, and, and so, so you have these two trends that are that are effectively the technology is driving the exponential increase of debt, and the and and everybody knows that the debt can't be paid back. So what would you do if you're a government anywhere in the world? You would debase your currency to pretend you could pay it back. Um, in uh, in nominal terms, and so that that's how. And as you do that, inflation the inflation that you're driving to essentially pay that debt back in cheaper terms is the same thing as wage deflation. It's not a different. It's not a different function. It is the thing that makes it work. And so you're you're enriching a small group of people at the expense of a large group of people, um, and. And it has to get worse and worse. And as you do that, you have society break down because everybody can't see what's going on. So we're in the middle of that transition right now. And Bitcoin provides a system outside of the system that is repricing that entire debt stack over time. And most people looking at Bitcoin are looking at um, it it denominated in their own currency Right. And you know this and most Bitcoiners know this, but because it's outside of that manipulation, in fact, what they're doing is uh, denominating Bitcoin in the manipulation instead of and, 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 and Bitcoin is going to reprice all of that. The entire debt stack is going to be repriced over time into Bitcoin. And it actually doesn't matter whether you have a deflationary collapse and it reprices into Bitcoin or an inflationary collapse. Um, both both ways, but, but uh, it, it, over time, Bitcoin takes that energy in, into something that can't be changed. And I assume that your thesis about Bitcoin being that uh, outlet is due to the fact that it doesn't have a center, that it's an apolitical, uh, neutral currency that exists outside of governments and outside of financial institutions. Yeah, and 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 I wanted to it, probably, if I'm being honest, when I wrote the book, I was I was a Bitcoiner, but I I had left open the possibility that it could be something else because I didn't understand Bitcoin as much as I really needed to, 
to be as bold as I am now. So I just, in, in my book, there's only a paragraph on Bitcoin. I talk mostly about the existing system needs a fix and Bitcoin may be one of them. Since that, I've just gone just way deeper and I wanted to understand what would this new system look like on Bitcoin and where was where would Bitcoin be vulnerable to attacks? Because if you just if you just step back and you realize how much power is in the existing system, then if Bitcoin could be attacked, if, it, if there was any way that Bitcoin uh, could be attacked, it would be because you could just look through 12,000 years of human history. And if because money is so powerful um, in all of in all of human trade, you could look back at human history and you could say, if you could if you could control if humans could manipulate money for their gain over somebody else's expense, they will. So you just look to our point in time and you'd say, if, if Bitcoin could be attacked, if there was any way that it, that it could be attacked by the powers that be, whether those powers were actually trying to manipulate something or not, there would just be so much inertia in the existing system. The existing system is 10,000 times bigger than Bitcoin and has a lot to lose. It would attack it with everything it had. And so I wanted to know, I wanted to know at that level, what protects this from from all those attacks? Why does it get stronger and stronger with all of those attacks? And so, once I understood that, once I went and did the, the why it was why it was so unique, why it was so different, then I could spend time saying, what would the new system look like if it's unstoppable over over time, and it's going to take all these, uh, the, it's going to have all of these attacks. What would that new system look like over time, and what and how would it uh, change society on top of a new standard that couldn't be manipulated? So, explain to us. Let's go back to the relationship between infinitely expanding debt stacks or the stock of debt versus uh, technology expanding at the rate that it is. What is the direct cause of? debt increase due to the technology? What, what is the link there between why technology increasing increases the debt itself? The, the direct cause is that the cost of production falls to its marginal cost. And the marginal cost of technology um, where we're moving with artificial intelligence and robotics is literally zero. So that means in a free market, and, and while there's a penny to be made, entrepreneurs will try to find the new way to be able to attack the old monopoly to be able to take that penny until it's free. The same reason why there's not a whole bunch of entrepreneurs around knocking on your door, trying to give you oxygen because it's abundant. It's free. There's no way to make money there. That cost drops as something turns into abundance. The same reason if you look at your iPhone and, and, and you, uh, and, and you look at your calculator app, there's, probably 50 calculator apps competing for your attention and they're all free. Why? Because, and, and I don't, I see a lot of businesses. I see thousands of businesses a year. I don't see a lot of entrepreneurs trying to create the next calculator app for the very same reason. Um, and if you look across all of the apps on your phone and you look at how many of them are free, what you're seeing is that, 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 that function. And if you look at your photos that you take today versus the photos you took 10 years ago, how many you take, how all the editing software is free, how everything is free. Um, it's the same function. And that, that is in not just your apps, it's everywhere. 
it's you can't see it because it's obfuscated from you by the money printing. So some things like food and housing are going up in price because of that money printing, largely because people are trying to race in as a store of value against the money printing and trying to buy assets. But the trend is we use technology. Technology is supposed to free our time. And that's in a free market, that's what happens. So the free market distributes those gains to society in the form of lower prices. And it keeps happening forever. And the and the people that lose their jobs out of that don't need to, you don't have to work to breathe the oxygen you're breathing. It becomes free. So, so the misnomer that we need more jobs to be able to pay for prices that we're manipulating higher in the first place is insane. But let's just follow what you, you, you asked. So prices keep on coming down and they keep on coming down forever because the people that lose their jobs in that, now there's a whole bunch of people that don't need to work as prices or they don't need to work as hard. Number of hours worked it, uh, come down all over the world as they gain abundance. And those people if they want to see, see these other industries with these high margins and, um, and they attack them like crazy because that's what you would do. That's what the free market does. They attack where you'd make the most money. And those were the, those are these high cost industries that would now, those would, uh, would have the same thing. Prices would start declining in those from the, for the very same reason. And so that, that's what the, that's what the world should look like. If we allowed a free market, if we allowed a free market, but, but because the debt can't be repaid, if prices decline, the cost of the debt explodes in real terms and it becomes insolvent. There's no way to allow that to happen, um, from the existing system. And it doesn't matter what face you put on the existing system, no matter where you put that somebody in the existing system, whoever is elected anywhere in the world from this system. What I just explained cannot happen. It's mathematically impossible because that whole debt that underlies their entire system and our way of life is the thing that would explode. If you allowed the prices to decline, you would have a cascading credit collapse and, and you'd see counterparty risk and every single person at the counterparty risk, as you well know, Nick, you wrote a book on it too, um, would explode around the world and everything would uh, collapse in our way of life today is on top of that credit-based system. So nobody wants to their credit-based, what politician, who of us would vote to allow that credit collapse to, to happen? Um, it, it would it would literally be dystopia. Everything would stop. You'd go back to barter. Well, people in Bitcoin wouldn't. They would be able to trade. But Bitcoin is early right now on that transition. And that's what would happen from the existing. So you have these two systems moving apart from each other faster and faster and faster. And what people don't realize is it's Bitcoin that's pricing that it's not that that's pricing Bitcoin. And so, so that's, that's the transition. That's, that's the why the system, no matter who you vote for, no matter what it, it vote, literally voting today is just theater. Um, and, um, on top of, on top of that system. So we have a lot of focus right now about on um, artificial intelligence, these art bots that are taking phrases and turning them into uh, works of art, uh, if you want to call it that, and uh, the, the new chat bot also that has everyone um, completely obsessed. What, what do you feel about where AI is 
and how that plays into your general thesis. I assume it's just another component of uh, displacing jobs and things becoming uh, free, essentially tracking towards zero. Yeah, two, two of my chapters in my book were especially specifically on this, and this is predicted in my book. And and the result of this prediction is uh, is you'd see exponential debt increasing. So when you asked about COVID, it's just a you see an exponential trend of increasing debt, and you see an exponential trend of uh, of technology trying to uh, going the exact opposite ways, in fact, reinforcing each other. So this is. I came to a conclusion in the book. I wrote something in the book that if I realized it, understanding how our human brains are, our, our biological computers worked and I realized that um, intelligence is just error correction. It's all intelligence is we're constantly predict making predictions and error correcting against the, those predictions. And if you make predictions and you don't error correct, you're not very smart. Right. If you make predictions that are wrong and you don't, you don't say, huh, something's wrong. You keep on doing the same thing. You keep on making the same mistake. The way you would learn to walk, cr crawl, talk is actually doing, making those predictions and error correcting against those uh, predictions, everything we do. And that's what the computers are doing exactly the, or similar. They're, uh, they're, they're, um, and they're getting better and better and better. Now, when you look at open AI today, on one side, people would say the singularity is here. And, and that is, uh, it's so close to artificial general intelligence. And that is a stretch. That's a huge stretch. And on the other side, you'd have people saying this does nothing. It's just a, a um, and that's, that's insane too. But the truth of this getting better and better and better and on a trend, I, I, this is the thing that I, it is so surprising to me that people try to time the light switch moment that the one day the artificial intelligence is, is better than all of us instead of the trend that is, they see around them all the time. They, they're watching this thing get better and better and better. And it's the trend you care about because the trend is taking you to in the direction that, the, uh, that, that this is going. And that direction is um, now I'll stop there and now think about every single person watching this and they're not every single person, but 99.7% of the population is on, uh, is on that, uh, uh, open AI and all of these different things. And they're doing this. How can I use this to make my business better? How can I remove labor, right? And do this faster. How can I use this tool to make this better? So all of these businesses, what they're really saying is, oh, I can get rid of a whole, I can get rid of 30 people. I can get rid of a thousand people. I can get rid of this and my business will be better. 0.3% of people. And what they're doing is looking at their existing legacy business, trying to optimize it against that 0.3% of people, maybe 0.1% of people are saying, oh, I could start something totally new and deliver value completely different starting from zero with this type of thing that reimagines the way the world looks. And, um, and, but if you just take the 99.7% of people, that means if you just play this forward, just what the technology just opened today, how many jobs are lost because of that? If the technology doesn't get any better, how many jobs are lost by, by that? 
and the technology is going to get better and better. Why is that not? Why is abundance gained from that technology not flowing to all of us? Why is it being concentrated up into super rulers who will use that technology to control us? Um, that's the system we live in. That's what the, and, and so that's where that goes. It just concentrates, concentrates, concentrates into somebody that controls that technology over you instead of the technology working for you. And do you like the um, metaphor of the money spigot? So what you're describing is this Cantillian effect where those that are closest to the source of money creation benefit the most. What metaphor or metaphors do you like to use to describe this effect and how it plays into your overall thesis? Um, so I, I, we've never had a, a couple, a couple things. There has never been a money like Bitcoin, right? And you know that there's, so there's never been a money like Bitcoin, um, that is decentralized and secure. So we always had to trust somebody else to control our money, a bank, a government, everything else. And that trust is always over time eroded as the, as, as they use the money against us rather than, rather than help us. Again, that same thing I said before, if money can be manipulated for the, some people's gain over others, it will be. So, so as more and more people have the money as the, as the, as the wealthy have the money, if you just looked at BlackRock or, or, or anyone in the existing system, what are they to gain from allowing the distribution to a different system? But now, if we've never had a money that is decentralized and secure like this, then if you look back at 12,000 years of human history, then, and you also realize that the winners write the history books for at least the 3,000 or 4,000 years that we've had, uh, we, we know the history. Um, the, uh, if the winners write the history books, then all of the models of how things must work must also have the error code of who controlled the money, what it looked like. And, and that means a whole bunch of bad data in our history of what actually happened. Is that fair? It, yeah. it must look like that, right? It must, because we've never had this something decentralized and, and secure. So we always had to trust institutions and whoever won that war against the other because of that same, same thing would have revised history to say why they were so smart. Right. So that, um, so that's what our human history looks like. So to, to look at forward, what it looks like, you could take clues from some of the things that happened before, but you would have to into it. What would happen on a new standard because you wouldn't have the data. Data is a data is a legacy of the existing system. So let's into it. What would happen on the new system? What would happen if, if a system was based on truth? Cause that's all it is. It's a, a system based on truth and it versus a system ba based on, on manipulation, theft, corruption, whatever you want to say, use as a word, but that is a fundamental difference. And what would the emergent complex behavior of society look like on a system designed based on a theft and what would that look in it? What if that theft had to grow greater and greater over time? What would the emergent complex behavior of all of society look like on that theft? Um, and, and I, I believe it would look like you get to a point and you go to war, right? 
to be able to reset the table. The, the have-nots rise up against the haves, and you and you reset the uh, the table over and over, but and then it resets again. And what would the emergent complex behavior of society look like on truth? And 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 uh, and and that's where I want to spend my time. I guess what, what I'd say why I've spent more and more time in Bitcoin. Why I've started the the venture fund and, and spending a lot of time here, here and seeing what's what's happening in this. I want to spend more of my time building the world I want to see. I want to ask you also about um, the debt itself. So as you know, I spent a lot of time focused on the interest rate world uh, trading. I traded treasury securities for many years and I still consider myself a rate strategist. That's, you know, I wake up in the morning and I'm checking charts. Now there's been a, a big debate this year to, to say it lightly about the future of treasury securities themselves. Um, what the path of interest rates over, over the next several years and this war between inflation and deflation that you're describing the sources of deflation are technological, the sources of inflation are monetary and fiscal in nature. Um, what is your outlook on treasury securities themselves um, amidst this this tug of war of these different forces? Um, and specifically, you're talking about the U.S. dollar treasury, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so if U.S. dollar treasury is eighty-eight percent of global trade today, and and benefits from a network effect, then what that means is. Um, global debt is priced in, in that. Um, and so as other countries lever in that currency, then as they revalue down, um, then, then effectively what's happening is because of the U S privilege there, um, the, that, that inflation in other countries or wage deflation in other countries allows the U S to benefit from the world getting poorer, right? That's that you 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 could say that that's uh, and the that periphery used to be Africa, South America, and that periphery was further away, and you didn't see it as much. And our our wealth, our system, came from the result of it. We didn't think it was our inflation rate was only two percent. And uh, in other countries, you had to keep on. You gave them more debt. <laughs> to revalue their currency down to be able to strip mine their countries is effectively what happened. You create, you created modern day slavery without having to, uh, uh, without having to have the optics of slaves. Um, you did it through, uh, through the, the, the system does it through monetary, uh, monetary standard and effectively U S prints free energy. Everybody else pays for energy is a, is a way to look at that. Now, that in itself. Now, when what I just said, you could. I'm, I'm sure some people will attack that because it doesn't it doesn't feel right in today's today's world. But but try to attack that using first principles, and you'll see that that is true. Unfortunately, so our success comes from other people's fa uh, uh, fa uh, failure, and now that periphery, <clears throat> what ends up happening in any centralized system, is the core has to get smaller. And the periphery has to get bigger. So that periphery is now moving into Japan and Europe and 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 countries that were once benefiting from that power 
are now going to find themselves breaking from it and it's going to and it's going to get worse and worse and you're going to have different allegiances all over the world start to emerge because of, because of that now if you just said the math of what you're saying the interest rates you could get away the us could get away for with it for so the us in that case would get stronger and other countries that needed bailouts would go to the imf and say okay i'll ratchet down my wages and i'll do it again right because they're desperate for money and they don't know the same thing that's causing their pain they go back uh, uh, stockholm syndrome you go back to the person causing you pain to try to solve the uh, the pain you love your captor and so that's that's kind of what's happening on one axis of the world and that could go on for some time because you have 87 88% of trade in in the US dollar now as that's happening though more and more people are are waking up to the game how the game is played and not only other nations waking up to how how the game is played and how it hurts them in in favor of somebody else but but also the US because if that if that happens that means you could never onshore production of critical parts even for the industri- military industrial complex because they're always outsourced to countries and that outsourcing to other countries now some of those other countries are your geopolitical adversaries and so you could never bring back the labor as that's uh, uh, as that's happening because the divide the price difference of that labor is too too high a divide so the the world and the US needs a neutral reserve currency um and and that's what that is another vector of what bitcoin provides o- over time it allows it allows the US to move into a neutral reserve currency and extend that so are you arguing here jeff that um the there's a lot of speculation not even speculation but there's a lot of talk about how reshoring or onshoring jobs is going to be a big trend over the next several years due to a deglobalization effect. So are do you um, disagree with that? Is that what you're saying here? The only way that that will happen is through trade trade barriers um, uh, 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 or uh, which which make the world smaller and living standards have to go down because we're all connected all over the world. Um there's buyers and sellers and the trade balance all over the world has to equal zero. So if that happens and US wants to be an exporter, then that means the money needs to invert and the US has to be their labor needs to be cheaper than other nations that are buying the goods. US is the only buyer of the world. And it's the only buyer of the world because it's the strong dollar and everybody else's weak dollar because of the system that's designed designed that way. Is that system going to go away tomorrow? No, that system is going to persist for some time. But uh, but but over time, that transition of that system to Bitcoin, because different nations are going to understand this, Bitcoin is going to get stronger and stronger and stronger as the, as that system gets weaker over time. And our audience has to understand that um, what Jeff is saying and is that reshoring is potentially a myth here due to basic economics, which suggests that production will try to find its lowest cost. And until basic, not even until we have a dynamic 
across the world in which the dollar is so strong relative to other countries that are trapped in debt and then seeking more dollar debt to keep that system going that it won't allow an adjustment of wages in the US relative to the rest of the world that will allow the reshoring of jobs. So I think that's it's very important to understand and to think about here because it's easy to say that we're heading for or that we are in a period of more geopolitical tension. That geopolitical tension will directly cause the reshoring of jobs and that's the only factor that you need to think about. <laughs> there are so many other factors here including basic economics in which you know um, production looks for the cheapest alternative. So before yeah. I move to my next question, I'll let you respond to that, Jeff. Yeah, no, it, that's exactly it. It's all economics, and 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 you can you can short circuit economics for a very short period of time by by essentially making by putting a trade barrier around your industry and making it only competitive in your nation, while the world keeps moving. And then that then that industry fails in your own nation because it's uncom uncompetitive. But it's all economics, the entire thing. And we we forget how how much of our life is actually driven by economics and all of these layers on top of trying to short term game that system for a country or a region are just short term or short term examples, and they don't work in the end. Pricing, uh, pricing matters. And so if they, if the price of labor is way higher in, in the U S and you, you, and everybody says, well, why wouldn't a business, why wouldn't this unnamed business go and just, uh, hire that U S labor It's the right thing to do. If you were that business, would you, and, and, and people, people can't seem to understand incentives, how incentives work. And there's no way you would, you would find the best talent in the best place in the world to optimize your business because otherwise your business would fail. Somebody else would compete against it and your business would fail. And so Jeff, can you talk about the, one of the things I really like about the way you're presenting this data is that uh, the word inflation and deflation have a ton of nuance to you. And they, they both, both of these words, deserve all that nuance. Um, but unfortunately, in the headlines, we get <laughs> CPI, and that's the inflation number. So what do you think, I mean, understanding that there, there's a ton of nuance to each of these words, what do you think about the inflation of the last couple years on a CPI basis? Um, and maybe the components within that that have, have shown a lot of strength? Do you think that it was caused by fiscal stimulus and or monetary st stimulus and or pandemic supply chain disruptions, because that's one of the big debates here. And the source of that inflation, I think, has to do a lot with how you feel the path of that inflation uh, will go over the next few years. And and this is actually why you have to start at a way higher level and start uh, um, and um, because the answer is all of the above. Um, and, uh, but why was, why were this, why did the su supply chain uh, disruptions happen in the beginning, in the beginning, that's a derivative of the monetary easing in the first place. Um, so, and, and, and without a try, trying to assign, uh, villains or heroes, 
in a in a system what would now so you could you could have two things true at the same time putin could be a very evil person and he could be right on issue on certain issues so let's just explore uh, explore that what would happen if you had a country um and and you had an idea for your country and that you had to price your energy and raw materials in a currency that you knew was going to lose 8% or 10% of its value every year. So you had to make a trade in, in that currency or you were shut off from the world. You're forced to. And the same money that you were making the trade in was expanding a military industrial complex to your borders. What would you do? And I'm not saying and that's, and, and so, so would a supply chain disruption happen as a, a result of that? And that's where people, uh, they're, they're too many levels down and they're too much emotion around the emotional thing that is the, the result of something, something way higher up the ladder. So they don't see, they, they get so stuck in their silo that they don't see the, 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 the highest order thing. And I just come back to really simple first principles. In a free market with technology moving at the rate it's moving, would prices decline everywhere? Just would prices decline? Simple question. The answer is yes, right? It's impossible to see the productivity gains not with decreasing pricing. And people conflate what I just said because the, the, and then the fear of a debt deflation because the existing system would fail. They conflate productivity gains with debt deflation to create a reason to say, we have to do it anyways. And it doesn't matter. Like in the end, it makes no difference. All of these things are consequences. So if you don't get enough inflation through monetary easing, you have to create fiscal easing. Um, you ha because you have to get that inflation rate up to pay the debt back in, in uh, because it's unpayable um, and the debt and the debt will collapse. And that has to create supply chain disruptions. And, and so I get, <laughs> I get tired of, <laughs> of the same, oh, like all of these little tiny conversations within the bigger conversation. And I just, and let's just go back to first principles. Let's just go back to would, um, my book could have ended with this, um, Productivity gained by tech, the productivity gained by technology is deflationary exclamation mark. <laughs> <laughs> it could have ended. What do we do about it? <laughs> right? Because it, it be, and, 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 and so we keep going back to this, all of these nuanced and, and people it's it, 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 the, so many people within the system. It's like saying, um, uh, it's, I know how to make my horse run faster when the automobile is coming out, right? And because they're so good at explaining how the existing system works and they're trying to find the thing that is the thing that makes the system work and everything else while forgetting the, the bigger, the bigger trend that's that all of humanity is transitioning through right now. All of us. Jeff, we haven't, you mentioned changing allegiances. So I want to talk about that a little bit more. And we haven't used the word China yet. So maybe you can talk about allegiances that you see that are evolving as we sit today. And how does China impact 
how you see um, certain allegiances or global trade trends? So I think the bigger game right now is the the um, the geopolitical the 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 war game behind the economic game. And that's and and so uh, when China stopped buying bonds, effectively stopped flushing money through the system. Right in 2014, 2015, when they stopped accumulating bonds, what that meant is the U.S. would have to monetize, find other buyers, and when they couldn't find enough buyers to be able to pay for low interest rate, they had to started to to monetize themselves. They had to print print that money. Well, China used that same money to be able to create Belt and Road and and other things, and effectively use the same playbook that the U.S. used to try to move China's yuan up the standing and create a whole bunch of other countries that relied on China. And, and as that game goes on, now that turns into a war game, right? We have an adversary that is, we're buying all of their stuff. All of the critical components for our entire military industrial complex are in China. And they're using our currency against us. There, well, you, uh, there was a there, both both countries won by that for some time, and they both uh, they both benefited to a point. And then China is big enough that now China wanted to do the same thing. And worse, China has one of the highest debt to GDPs in the world. Even if you looked at the um, what what's on the books, forget about what's in the black pools and everything else, and if they don't get jobs and productivity up a lot and that productivity, remember, remember what's happening with the technology, the productivity is actually net negative GDP, right? Because prices fall. So, but in, so unless they get inflation up and everything else, their debt collapses. So what the U S just did by tightening and is doing by tightening is causing China to fail. And they're, and they're in the middle of a debt spiral right now, and there's no way out because as they try to print more money to be able to do that, energy goes up in price, food goes up in price, and they don't have energy and food security. So that's what's happening, uh, right? I think that that's the game that the Fed is actually playing right now. This is a China game, and they're, and, and they're tightening, and they're going to tighten for longer because of that. And that's going to create more tension. And if you just look at some of the other signposts, when uh, was it four weeks ago that uh, the U.S. said if you're a, if you're a U.S. citizen in China working on chip uh, semiconductors, you lose your uh, U.S. citizenship. That is cutting off cutting off China before China reaches that next stage. Because if this kept going on, if you if you kept uh, if you kept easing, if, if U.S. kept easing. And China kept using that money to be able to expand their dominance. Three, five years from now, it might be too late. It might, it, it, um, right now, there's a point in time that can, uh, that, that, that causes a ton of pain in China and unrest in China and slows down the, the march used by cheap money to be able to work, work against you. And, and in that war game type of scenario, now it causes a whole bunch of potential risk for real war around the world. But in that war game scenario, uh, scenario um, U.S. 
could, and I'm not saying this is uh, the highest probability, but it's an increasing probability. Um, the smartest thing in the, on the planet to do would be to do this around the world and then move into Bitcoin and then move fast, hard into Bitcoin, because now you would have ensure a neutral reserve currency in the world and you would have the, you would have the front seat at it. Jeff, this has been a tremendous conversation. Uh, we really appreciate your philosophical approach to the entire monetary system and looking at the issues from this top level of in terms of the order of effects here, because it's so easy to get lost in some of these uh, mainstream media conversations that we are sometimes uh, led to believe that that's the main issue here when it's really not. There's so many deeper issues going on. So I would recommend people go check out The Price of Tomorrow. And Jeff, thank you for your kind words about layered money over the last couple of years. Um, it really does go a long way. So why don't you give our audience where they can find you, where they can find your book and anything else you want to leave us with? Uh, yeah, they can find me on, on Twitter at Jeff Booth on Twitter. Uh, there's a couple of articles you might just want to uh, put in the show notes, uh, the greatest game and finding signal in a noisy world, um, because I think that just, you know, like your book and other things, it, it, just a reference to in, in a really noisy world to come back to what's really happening at the highest level. Excellent. Uh, Jeff, thank you for joining us here today at the Bitcoin layer. The Bitcoin layer is sponsored by Voltage. Um, enterprise-grade provider of Bitcoin and Lightning Network infrastructure to go spin up your own node with Voltage. Jeff, thanks a lot. Thanks, Nick. Thanks.